0: Radio Gag! The Gays Against Guns Show! Prepare to gag, yeah! Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns Show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm your host, Ty Kersley. This afternoon, we are talking about toxic masculinity. I know there are plenty of recent examples in the world right now, but I want to discuss this topic specifically on how it pertains to gun violence. We'll break down some findings from a report released earlier this year by EveryTownResearch.org. It's titled, Misogyny, Extremism, and Gun Violence. Their research has found that among the many reasons people purchase firearms, a sense of empowerment is one that particularly resonates with men, who tend to find greater feelings of empowerment from gun ownership. My guest, Paige Tetons, a research associate at Everytown for Gun Safety, will discuss how misogynists are radicalized online and the idolization of mass shooters. In gun violence prevention news, police have arrested a second suspect in connection to a mass shooting in downtown Sacramento, California this weekend that left six people dead and a chaotic crime scene littered with more than a hundred shell casings. Here's an update on that story. In gun violence prevention news, California law enforcement officials suspect a handgun converted to fire like a machine gun was among the weapons used in the mass shooting that left 6 dead and 12 wounded in Sacramento on April 3rd. The shooting began after a fight broke out around 2 a.m. in a popular nightlife area just blocks away from the state capitol. Video from the scene shows chaos and a crowd scrambling after gunshots ring out including a burst of the sort of rapid fire that typically comes from a machine gun. Law enforcement sources say witness reports, physical evidence, and videos of the events that night have led them to believe that at least one of the guns used was a fully automatic weapon, most likely one that was equipped with an illegal conversion device. Both the duration of the gunfire and the number of casings recovered are consistent with auto fire, said a law enforcement official with knowledge of the investigation. A second law enforcement source who was near the scene described hearing what sounded like full auto gunfire, which echoed off the tall buildings in downtown Sacramento. It's believed that the multiple shooters with multiple guns were exchanging fire. Photos from the aftermath of the shootout showed the pavement littered with shell casings that appeared to be of handgun caliber. Last month, The Trace and Vice News documented the rise of automatic conversion devices, which quickly and easily modified semi-automatic weapons to fire more than 1,200 rounds per minute and sidestepped the federal government's strict licensing requirements for automatic weapons. The reporting identified hundreds of cases where criminals and extremists sought out and used conversion devices to carry out robberies, assaults, and murders. According to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, recoveries of illegal modified machine guns increased from 300 in 2020 to 1500 last year. Commonly referred to as switches or chips on the streets, automatic conversion devices are available for illegal online purchase for as little as $20 and can even be fashioned at home using a 3D printer. Among the most popular type of conversion device is auto sear, which is commonly used in Glock handguns. The Sacramento Police Department confirmed that at least one stolen firearm was recovered at the scene and another retrieved during a search warrant. The police also said more than 100 shell casings were recovered at the scene. Asked whether a Glock modified with an auto sear was used in the shooting, a spokesperson for the Sacramento Police Department said that determining the functionality of the weapons involved in the shooting will remain a focus during the investigation. This would not be the first time an automatically converted weapon was linked to a mass shooting. In 2019, members of the Mongolian Boys' Society, a criminal street gang, used an automatically converted Glock to kill four and wound six more at a family gathering in Fresno, California. Those killed in the shooting, three men and three women, range in age from 21 to 57 years old. The coroner's office identified the men as Sergio Harris, 38, who lived northeast of downtown Sacramento. Devazia Turner, 29, of Carmichael, and Joshua Hoy Lucchesi, 32, of Salinas. The women killed were Jantia Alexander, 21, Melinda Davis, 57, and Yamali Martinez Andrade, 21, of Selma. The mass shooting was the deadliest in Sacramento history. In addition to the six deaths, at least a dozen others were wounded. And now, the in memoriam. <laughs> In remembrance of Sergio Harris, 38 years old, April 3, 2022, in Sacramento, California. Sergio Harris, a father of three, has been the first person identified as killed during the mass shooting in downtown Sacramento early Sunday. At least six people were killed and 12 wounded after gunfire erupted outside a strip of crowded bars where nightlife had recently rebounded as the coronavirus pandemic ebbed. Sergio Harris's mother, Pamela Harris, was at the shooting scene Sunday morning waiting to see if her son was a victim. My son was a very vivacious young man, Harris said. Fun to be around, liked to party, smiling all the time. For this to happen is crazy. I'm just to the point right now I don't know what to do. I don't even feel like this is real. I feel like this is a dream, Harris told reporters, that she had just had dinner with her son Saturday night. I got a son down there under a blanket," said Fred Harris. He said he had been awakened in the middle of the night by a phone call from his daughter who, sobbing, was calling to report that his son, Sergio Harris, had been among those gunned down. He said his son had been at a club called El Santo where the shooting started. Letitia Harris, wife of the deceased, said Sergio Harris was a landscaper with three children between the ages of five and eleven. He had no connection with the shooting, she said, other than to have been caught in the crossfire. He was a happy guy, a family guy, loved his kids, she said. He was just having fun at the pub. Sergio Harris, we remember you. You're listening to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Gun show, here on listener-sponsored commercial-free radio WBAI 99.5 FM. We are here every Tuesday at 2 30, bringing you the latest in gun violence prevention movement news. Welcome back, listeners. Today we are talking to Paige Tetons from Every Town for Gun Safety. How are you doing today?
1: Doing well. Thank you for having me.
0: Um, Paige, we want to discuss this research and report that came out uh, misogyny, extremism, and gun violence. So let's just go through how an individual is radicalized in our country and look to, you know, violence to solve their problems and how guns actually relate to that.
1: So in the report, we go through a process we call the path to radicalization. Uh, Many misogynists get their start in this collection of internet communities known as the Manosphere, which is a loose collection of things like online forums, subreddits, and websites that at their core believe that men are an oppressed class. Uh, The people in these groups really bond through shared misogynist attitudes and anxiety over their place in society. These communities are made up of everything from uh, so-called pickup artists who attempt to seduce women by manipulating them, uh, men's rights activists who believe that men suffer from gender discrimination more than women, um, or incels, which I think are the most well-known of these groups, uh, which is shorthand for someone who considers themselves to be involuntarily celibate. But you can maybe see already from the descriptions of these groups that they speak to a symptom of toxic masculinity. Men might join these groups uh, searching for connection or companionship. The example I like to use is that a man uh, might join one of these misogynist groups because he has trouble talking to women, and a pickup artist forum says, we can help you with that. Here are all the things that you need to know about women, how to get them to pay attention to you, and how to use them for intimacy. Another example might be maybe this same man has trouble talking to women, but he just sees the situation as hopeless. Maybe he feels ostracized or undesirable. And maybe he thinks if I haven't had a girlfriend by a certain age, I never will. That might lead him to seek a community of like-minded people in incel forums where he's then bombarded with ideas about how he's owed certain things from women and how they're at fault for the despair he feels. So the effects of toxic masculinity in a society, uh, you have to feel this way, you have to act this way, and if you don't, you're a failure, uh, can lead people to seek comfort in these groups. There are of course you know, other things that lead to uh, people to these spaces. In our research, we saw loneliness, disaffection, uh, anti-feminism to also be some of the prime motivators for speaking out this kind of community. But once they're there, they find this shared culture of misogyny and racism. A perceived loss of social status uh, is a pretty potent basis for radicalization. And the dominant attitudes in these forums are that outgroups are to blame for these men's problems. Women, people of color, uh, religious minorities, particularly Jewish people, um, it is their fault that you don't have the things that you're owed. So people previously a part of less extreme groups might really resonate with this get deeper into more radical misogynist spaces. And it's in these more radical spaces that discussions of violence become common. Like many extremists, they worship attackers that committed violence motivated by hate, and they fantasize about violence themselves. Um, So when you add the attraction and ease of access to firearms that are prevalent in these discussions, these places are unfortunately a hotbed of potential mass attacks.
0: Right, and it sounds familiar to me. I bring this up on the show occasionally, but I'm retired Air Force and a lot of my, the majority of my years were working, studying terrorist cells, then, you know, how people are recruited. And it seems very similar to um, easily pointing the finger to someone else's why you don't have the money you have, why you don't have the respect you have. They find camaraderie with other men in all of this anger and, and finding the same target. I, I even read in the article that um, it's been five years, I think, since, yeah, the Santa Barbara students that were killed and that shooting itself uh, inspired other public shootings.
1: Right. So while misogyny and the violence that uh, is motivated by misogyny didn't start with that shooting in Isla Vista, our research found that it was a watershed moment for it. Uh, The attacker there considered himself to be an incel, and through his uh, long manifesto, videos he posted online, and past behavior, the antipathy he felt toward women became really clear. Um, At as young as 17, he was fantasizing about violence against people and relationships, even documented some of his own violent behavior in the years leading up to the shooting. He was living an active life online at the same time, expressing himself as someone deeply misogynist, racist, and violent. And in May of 2014, when he perpetrated this attack that killed six people and wounded 14 others, uh, all of this was very public and visible. He was really clear about the fact that he was doing this because he was, uh, you know, he felt this way. He had these grievances against women. Um, he wanted to punish people and he had been planning the attack for a while. Uh, and the visibility and the cruelty of that motivation turned a previously little known incel movement into this internationally recognized terrorist threat. Uh, For the online communities I mentioned before that shared his belief, this was the first time that their grievances had been so widely recognized. They saw themselves as as suffering, and now that everyone was talking about this attack and the grievances behind it, um, some were even celebrating. Six people were killed, a dozen other were wounded, and some people were not only glad that it happened, but were hoping that it happened again in these spaces. Um, If you've looked at this case before and heard the name the patron saint of incels, Uh, that's the shooter here. He looked up as an inspiration for the people who are sympathetic to his views. Um, And unfortunately, since this attack in Isla Vista, we tracked at least six shootings connected to the same incel and manosphere subcultures that the shooter was a part of, um, with many of them drawing direct inspiration with him, either citing him in in favorable online posts, um, directly calling him things like a hero, um, and things like that. So the, some of the, some of the attacks that, um, were perpetrated sort of in his name, um, and some of the attacks that, you know, people who attempted attacks also citing the Isla Vista shooter, um, as a, a person, you know, worthy of worship and, and inspiration to further attacks.
0: So this is a completely different scenario than like when we see men, as they would say, or any person, but mostly men snap and, a gun just happens to be there. We're talking about a movement really that men have been able to tap into um, and it has collected a lot of gun owners. How do we use these findings to address the damage that toxic masculinity is doing to our country?
1: So ending extremism, ending misogyny, ending toxic masculinity, these are all you know, really massive undertakings that can't be fixed by one policy alone. And we're thankfully not alone in doing the work to understand and end misogyny. Uh, but what we found in the research is that firearms are really prevalent and really important to these acts of violence. You, you, know, you mentioned it just now that the, uh, the connection that this has to guns uh, is really troubling. And we found that it's intentional, that it's the ease of access and it's the importance of a firearm as an empowering symbol um, that is makes these attacks so prevalent and so deadly. Uh, we want this to be the foundation to, for further research to further understand, further address um, this issue. and this report illuminates how important it is that gun violence prevention is part of that conversation. Um, knowing what we know from this work now, action that prevents these attacks just can't come soon enough. Um, and our hope is that the report raises awareness about how just you know just how important it is that, uh, we address extremism and we address gun violence prevention in tandem.
0: Right. Um, does this lead also to, um, you know, for gun safety? We're talking about gun safety legislation. You think we wouldn't get any pushback from, but yet somehow uh, politicians are still locked in on this group to keep them happy and to keep them voting and supporting them and showing up to rallies armed and all these other things. And how do we break that cycle?
1: Yeah, one thing that we um, researched in the report was that we found that guns are important as both an an easily accessible means to make their rage visible, but also an important symbol of empowerment for these groups. Um, You mentioned sort of that, you know, there's a desire to keep these groups happy. And one of the things that we found in the research is that guns um, are not just empowering, but are particularly empowering to men. So we have this group here um, in the manosphere among incels that feel uh, disempowered. They feel that they don't have a voice, that they are, don't have a place in society. Um, this is their way to, to change that, to, to acquire a gun, to feel a sense of power. Um, one thing that we also found in the work um, and the research is that guns are are explicitly marketed for this uh, feeling of empowerment. So we have a a scenario where, um, you know, people seek guns to be empowered um, and commit violence sort of as a result of that, and guns are are marketed uh, to that feeling. So obviously this requires, um, you know, shifts in, in addressing extremism and addressing toxic masculinity and addressing the way that we um, you know, approach gun culture as a country. Um, but what's so important is that this, in this action, that as we, you know, work to address misogyny, as we work to address extremism, uh, that these guns um, that are used in these acts of violence aren't so so easily accessible to these these extremists who will use them to commit acts of violence.
0: Right. What's one thing you definitely want everyone to know?
1: I think the main takeaway from this this report is that misogyny has long been a driver of gun violence and extremist violence in the United States. Um, the new research that we have here highlights the importance of guns as both this organizing symbol um, and as the weapon of choice for misogynists and extremists generally, um, which I th- hope calls attention to this growing public safety threat that this presents to our country. Um, I think another important thing to know, and we sort of alluded to it throughout this conversation, is that. Uh, there is a pretty significant overlap between misogynist attitudes and white supremacist and far-right attitudes overall. Uh, we see in a lot of um, extremist attackers that they harbor both feelings of hatred and disdain for women um, and for, for people of color, um, for religious minorities, because the, the foundation of, of grievances to be able to blame an entire group um, for the way you feel is, is a primer for further white supremacists for further uh, far-right beliefs. So often uh, far-right extremists, white supremacists will explicitly see these misogynist groups as a recruiting space for their own beliefs. So as we consider that far-right extremism is this, this growing problem in the United States that um, just a year ago, uh, there was a, an insurrection connected to this extremism that uh, as long as misogyny continues to be um, an organizing principle for these groups, and a way to recruit more members into their own movement. That this this problem is bigger than just uh, one thing. It stretches across the whole continuum of extremism, um, and we know that misogynist violence is deadly enough on its own.
0: Right. What other things are we are we working on now in the in the movement to kind of highlight that this is wrong without still being tagged you know, the guy's coming for your guns. It seems like we're always going to be on the other side uh, of this because there is such a a fused symbol of a man with a gun. How do we get out that maybe that's not the most trustworthy image? You know, maybe a man with a gun shouldn't be trusted. How do do we get that across?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think I'm grateful that we're able to do this work addressing extremism alongside some really um, you know great organizations that have been doing this work for for a long time. And I think the position that we want, you know this report to exist in is that uh, this is a new contribution about the importance of of guns, of guns as a symbol um, of gun culture to this this extremist movement. Um, we see not just in misogynist extremism, but in other types of extremism um, that our organization has researched that uh, the gun is a really it's it's an, it's a way to organize and it's a way to to intimidate people and to, uh, and, you know, enact violence. I'm really grateful for the a lot of the work that our volunteers um, in Moms Men Action have been doing on this, even as we were, were working on the report. Um, you know, Moms Men Action is, is largely, you know, there are people advocating for, for these, for gun safety across the country. Um, When you're a woman talking to a group of, of, you know, men who are legislators around the country, um, you know, showing up to, to uh, different testimonies and and community events sort of armed, uh, ready to be aggressive, um, that, you know, they're there saying, all we want to do is is stop these acts of violence from happening. So the the important thing, and I think uh, this question gets to it, is just divorcing the idea of, of a gun as a solution. The report illuminates this connection. And I think that what we, we want to do in addressing extremism and addressing this connection um, is continue to illuminate this problem. I think that this is the first step in showing that guns are so uh, important to this movement. and the next steps are uh, continuing to understand, continuing to research um, and figuring out what those what those points are uh, to to further, you know, to end extremism, to end misogyny in a macro way. As long as people, you know, continue to to understand this issue and continue to feel it's important to address, uh, that makes me hopeful for the the work to come.
0: Okay, great. I appreciate it. So thank you for doing this research and um, I appreciate you coming on it and talking to us about it.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me and thank you for um, you know, the attention that's given to this issue.
0: Great. To find out more about working with us, please go to gaysagainstguns.net or follow us at Gays Against Guns NY on Facebook and Instagram or gag no Guns on Twitter. Also, be sure to check out our website to learn more about creating your own gag chapter. You can also come to a meeting. We meet virtually and here in New York once a month on Thursday in Manhattan at the LGBT Center on 13th Street. Our next meeting is April 28th, where we will be planning all kinds of great actions and protests. So, please join us. Remember, all are welcome to come to gag meetings. And another great way to get involved is by becoming a BAI buddy. A BAI buddy is someone who keeps our unique volunteer-run radio show going by giving a small donation every month. And really, just a modest monthly contribution can really help keep us on air here at WBAI to bring you this show every week. Just go to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950 and become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. Thank you. I want to thank Everytown for gun safety. Uh, That's our guest, Paige Tetons, as well as Sarah Harris and Emily Miller for all their work and helping with the show this week. For more information, you can go to www.everytownresearch.org. Thanks for listening, and we are back next Tuesday and every Tuesday at 2.30 p.m. Don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform. Thank you, and have a safe and great day. <laughs> well, I think it would be nice if we could break your lobby Cause no, not every lobby knows how a lobby like you No. And you never think twice
1: Before you take our dreams away what? And we say, f*** the NRA And all the cash you blew Oh, oh yeah, you bought a Congress for 20 million, and then the White House 30 million more. Well, you can spend your heart out
0: a billion, billion. We don't care about your money, we are showing you the door. Cause we gotta have
1: faith. We gotta have faith. Oh, yeah, we gotta have faith, the faith, the faith. We gotta have faith, the faith, the faith. The
0: faith. Oh, baby.
1: We won't go back to yesterday. So please, 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 sache away.
0: You are giving us the blues.
1: May yeah. we're gonna break the money chain. Then we won't have to feel the
0: pain of another day loaded down with a lot of bad news. Just watch this river become an ocean. Listen, do you You'll hear that mighty roar? Yeah, baby, we'll keep resisting. Your evil notions we have had it up to here and we are showing not one more Cause you gotta
1: have faith We gotta have faith Oh yeah we gotta have faith the faith the faith We gotta have faith the faith the faith, the faith. Ah.